The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And we need purging, a purging, and that's what the blood does in Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, this is a wonderful aspect that we have of the blood. We've talked about it already, about the fact that we had a non-payment for our sins, and the blood was the payment for our sins, and that's what was used. And what it says in Colossians 2.14 is very interesting about it, because it says that what happened in Colossians 2.14 is that God blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know, when it talks about this, this handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that's kind of like each of us had a, a book, a horrible book. You can call the book My Debts that God kept. And every law that we broke, every ordinance that we broke, every sin that we committed just was put down there as another debt, another entry in the horrible, this horrible book, all the entry of all the sins. And so what happened is that God first, with the blood, blots out every entry in that book. And then when all the entries are removed, then God says, well, this book is now blank. We don't need it anymore, so let's remove it out of the way. Out of the way, it stood between us and God. And then furthermore, he says, I'll tell you what, let's go one step further, we'll nail it to the cross. We'll nail it to the cross. You know, just the same way that, that when you get your old passport returned to you, it's got holes in it, means it's not valid, that's what he did. So he removes this with a great, this is a mighty thing that God does. It's just because, because our sins, what it says in Jeremiah 17.1, our sins were very permanently written. Jeremiah 17.1 says the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It's graven upon the table of their heart upon the horns of their altar. See, that's a pretty substantial pen. A pen of iron with a point of a diamond. That's how our sins were written. 
And, and just by turning over a new leaf in life, that's just not gonna remove. It's not gonna remove the memory, the filth, the guilt of our sins, of our conscience. But the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it can do that. That's how powerful it is. Now, before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were at war with God. We may not have felt we were at war with God, but we were with the Lord Jesus Christ. We were passively or actively at war with the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were at war. And we needed a peace treaty. We needed a peace treaty with God to stop the war. And there's gotta be a basis. That's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20 explains to us how this war stopped when it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile, bring together all things unto himself. I say, but whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. It's a very interesting phrase. Peace through the blood. Peace through the blood. You know, if a person tries to make peace with God without the blood, he's got no basis for it. There's no basis for having this peace. And God wants to make peace with man. That's the point. God wants to make peace with man. When it says in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it's God the Father so loved the world that he gave his son to shed his blood as a basis for so we can have this peace with God. Peace through his blood. Colossians 1:20. Colossians 1.20 is all about reconciliation. It's all about reconciling all to himself, all that are in earth and all that are in heaven. So the verse speaks about reconciliation with God for those in, on earth and for those in heaven. When it says reconciliation in, in heaven, probably it's referring to those who died more than 2,000 years ago, so-called Old Testament saints. And those in the Old Testament times, they're just like us. We look back on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, that's the sacrifice for my sins, whereas they in the Old Testament look forward to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, that's the sacrifice for my sins. But we know those Old Testament saints were in heaven because they were with Abraham, as it says in Luke 16.20. Luke 16.20, it talks about this certain uh, beggar named Lazarus and it says, it came to pass when the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So there he is. There he is waiting for this reconciliation that takes place by the blood, by the blood. But there's a limit when it says all things in heaven and all things in earth because the limit is, it doesn't say all things in hell. So there's no reconciliation for those who are in hell. They are permanently in that state, no possibility of being reconciled to God. That's a motivation for us, a motivation for us to bring the gospel to the lost. That's what that is. It doesn't mean, obviously, that everyone is gonna be reconciled to God because everyone's not reconciled to God. And as a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7.13, Matthew 7.13, enter ye in at the straight gate, the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that which go in thereat, because straight, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few, see that? Many to destruction, few to life. 
It's a wide gate, it's a broad way, it's many that are going to destruction. Many have their lives alienated from God and they die as God's enemies. And a broad gate is a scary scene, that's very scary when you look at that. You know, there's another scene that the Lord Jesus described, it's also a reason to fear. It says in Luke 13, 24, Luke 13, 24, he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate, the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. I mean, just imagine what that's like. Just imagine the many who are really trying to get into heaven. What a terrifying sight to see those calling, scratching on the door of heaven and not being able to be let in. That's a frightening scene, and that's not the only time the Lord Jesus spoke about these horrors of people trying to get into heaven. The Lord Jesus, he, he even let us hear the words that people are saying as they're trying to get into heaven in Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21, when he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And here's his words. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That scene, it sends shivers down our spines just to think of how horrible it is for many thinking they're saved, thinking I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm doing the will of God, look at me. People would say, I've preached in Jesus' name. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with preaching in Jesus' name? I've cast out devils in Jesus' name. What's wrong with that? I've done many wonderful works in Jesus' name. What's wrong with that? All the while thinking that I'm doing this, therefore I will be welcome into heaven. I'll be welcome into heaven. And at the end, to hear those terrifying words, I don't know you. Leave me. You're working iniquity. I never knew you. They all, they, they, they knew all the works they did, but they never really knew the Lord Jesus. They never had what we were just thinking about, this grand desire. I, oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face. They never knew that. They never were yearning from their heart, abide with me, stay with me, don't go away. They never had that because they were full of all kinds of religious works. Religious works, a lot of religious people in hell. That's frightening. That's the scene of an ultimate shock, an ultimate shock. Everyone when they die is gonna wake up. And it doesn't matter if their bodies are cremated in the hottest oven, or if their bodies are thrown into 20,000 leagues under the sea. Every person's gonna wake up after death. And what a shocking scene it is to imagine people waking up after death and saying, I woke up, I woke up, my body was cremated. What am I doing waking up? I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be annihilated by the cremator. How could I have woken up after death? Why am I conscious? And the Lord Jesus said that fearing the person who not only kills the body but casts the soul into hell, he said in, in Matthew 10, 28, Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but which are not able to kill the soul. 
but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why the blood of the Lord Jesus is so important because it removes this distance from God, made nigh by the blood, made nigh by the blood. And when a person trusts in the blood of the Lord Jesus as a sacrifice, then he comes into this nearness with God, this closeness with God, and the distance is removed. So that leaves the question, how is the blood of the Lord Jesus work? Well, it's for everyone. The blood is for everyone. It is God's effective plan. It's God's plan. It's God's plan that can result in a peace between men and God. But the plan with the blood was put in place, but it's only effective when man does something when man does something. And that's seen for us in Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25 shows us what man has to do. It says, God set him forth, the Lord Jesus, to be the propitiation. It says, through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood. So, So man puts his faith, man puts his confidence in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Faith in his blood. Now to get the picture of what that really means, in Romans 3.25, when it says faith in his blood, just picture, just picture now the firstborn on this day of Passover in Egypt. I mean, he saw when God said, go into the house for the plague when he sent the hail, he saw that those that went into the house and brought their animals also into shelter, when the hail came, they were saved. And he saw that those who didn't go into the house when God said go into the house were killed by the hail. So when God said go into the house on the night of the Passover, the firstborn was in the house. You can believe that. But God said on that night of the Passover that the blood of the family lamb, and that's what it was. It was a family lamb. Each family had to select their own lamb the best lamb, no blemish. They had to examine it for three days, make sure it had no blemish, and that became the family lamb. It's referred to in Exodus, well, as as each family a lamb. And then they would take the blood of the family lamb and put it over the door and on the two side posts of the door because God said to do that. In, in Exodus 12, 13, Exodus 12, 13, he says, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. So you look at the blood. In other words, look at that blood. That's what he's, God was saying to the family. Look at that blood. It's a token to you. And then God says, I will look at the blood also. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So the firstborn knew that the angel was coming. The angel of death was coming. The angel of death was coming to kill the firstborn. The angel of death was coming to kill him as the firstborn, and he knew that his only hope was in the effective way that God said the death could be avoided, and that was with the blood of the family lamb on the door of the house. So the firstborn, picture it, the firstborn sits in the house And from far away, he hears the cries and the screams from the families who didn't put the blood on the door, and they just watched in helpless horror 
as the firstborn dies. And imagine how at first the cries and the screams, they're far away. As the angel moves along, the cries and the screams get closer and closer and closer. And he knows soon the angel of death is going to reach my home. And as the firstborn hears those cries and screams getting closer, he is more and more putting his confidence in the blood of the family lamb that's on the door. And he must have been praying stronger and stronger as he hears those cries come in. Oh, God, you said that when you saw the blood on the doorpost that you would pass over the house. We see the blood on the doorpost. I saw the blood on the doorpost. Now it's time for you, Lord, to see the blood. You said death would skip over that house. You said that you wouldn't kill the firstborn in that house. God, we put the blood on the doorpost. I saw the blood, just like you said. God, I'm relying on your promise. That's a picture of what it means to put faith in his blood. Faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that 100% unreserved confidence in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means not confidence in any works that I do, not confidence in any gifts of charity or things like that. It's, It's only blood. It's blood only. It's confidence only in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because his blood speaks of sacrifice for our sins. Just like the hymn says in Rock of Ages, it says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. But the word faith, when it says faith in his blood, that's a responsibility that man must do, man must do. God did not put the blood on the door of the houses. He said, each family, you have to do that. I've told you what to do, now you have to do it yourself. You have to kill your family lamb, you have to collect the blood, you have to put it on the door. It was so clear, it's gotta be there. And the deciding factor as to whether or not the first one was gonna live or die all came down to whether or not there was obedience to the command, put the blood on the doorpost. That's why the gospel is called a command. The gospel is called the command to obey. Second Thessalonians 1.7, it says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And they that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. God takes vengeance with flaming fire and he punishes with everlasting destruction those who don't obey the gospel, those who don't put the blood over the doorpost there. They were punished, there was vengeance. That's why the gospel is like the command that Moses gave, put the blood on the doorposts. The gospel is a command to obey. And so it says in Acts 17.30, Acts 17.30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath appointed. See, the gospel is a command. It's a command. Turn away from sin. That's repentance. Turn away from sin and put confidence in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, judgment comes to those who refuse that command. Just like death came 
to the firstborn, to those who had no blood on their door. Salvation's not automatic, it's not automatic. Each person must individually put his faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now, you would think that when God justifies us, that we would be justified by God, justified by God, but it's interesting. In Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, therefore, being justified by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What it says is, therefore, being justified by faith, by faith, we have peace with God, justified by our faith in the blood of the Lord, in the blood of the Lord. So that's his plan. That's his effective plan. That's why we're studying all about the the blood, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, because of all it accomplished. It's important. It's super important. And God's plan is that there's no man, there's no person today who's an enemy with God that the blood cannot reconcile him to God. There's no person. God's plan is there's no guilt, there's no sin that any man has today that the blood can't wash away. It can't wash away. It is a mighty payment. God has put forward a mighty payment to forgive all the sins. And a person counts the blood of no value when he says, no, thank you, I'm gonna make a CV of my good works instead. Everything has been done. Everything has been done. And it's paid for by the blood. And the blood speaks to the lost. The blood says to the lost, all you have to do is come. Don't resist, just come. Just come to the Lord Jesus, like he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty and 28, he says, come unto me. Just come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says in Isaiah 118, Isaiah 118, come now, come now. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. See, all a person has to do is come. Just come. Because God looks at the blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus, and he says, from my side, I am reconciled to you. The question is, will you from your side be reconciled to me? That's what the blood is. When you go over into the tabernacle over there, and you look at the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant of the Holy of Holies there, and you see the blood on the horns of the cherubim, you see the blood there that was put there, that the high priest put there. And what are the cherubims doing? They're facing inward. They're looking at the blood, and their focus is on the blood. Their eyes are of the cherubim are on the blood. And we can imagine God looking on that blood and saying, you know, based on this blood, I am reconciled to you. And only as man looks at the same blood and and says, based on this blood, I am reconciled to you, God. See, when both focus on the blood, God looks at the blood and sees, I see the blood, I'm satisfied with the payment of the blood. And it's only when man looks at the same blood and said, this is all my payment, I've got nothing more, nothing less, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's why God gives to us as a basis for this ministry of reconciliation, the blood, he gives us the blood, and then he says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, 2 Corinthians 5.18, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are as ambassadors for God as though God did beg you, did beseech you by us. We pray you, we beg you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be a sin offering for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you.